Hey there, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. Have you ever had feelings that you didn't know how to express to God or to someone else? We've got good news. There's a whole book of the Bible that gives language to the deepest, rawest feelings that we have, and it's the book of Psalms. The rest of the Bible is God's words to you. The Psalms are your words to God. We pray that this message blesses you today. And if you're looking for more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Psalm 55, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been betrayed by someone that you trusted Maybe a close friend, maybe a spouse, maybe uh, a coworker, maybe somebody at church, maybe a neighbor, but betrayed. We've all been betrayed. It's a common issue. All of us have betrayed others and all of us have been betrayed. We've been studying the Psalms on Sunday mornings, really learning how to improve our prayer lives because the Psalms, we say, give language to some of the things that we're thinking and feeling. And so that's what makes them really helpful. The rest of the Bible is God's word to us. The Psalms, you can think of it as being our words to God. And these men and women, these men who wrote the Psalms, they... They were living life like you and I do, going through real stuff, and they're pouring out their hearts to God. And so we're looking at Psalms right now of lament. We have been for the last couple of weeks, and today, Psalm 55 is a psalm of lament. It's a psalm about betrayal. Um, Psychologist Holly Holly Kenley, uh, she says that betrayal is different from grief. A lot of psychologists treat uh, betrayal like it's grief, and then they don't get really very good results. Grief, in grief, you go through the five stages of grief. You're probably familiar with those. And in grief, the goal of grief is to come to a place where I can accept the loss. This person has passed away, or I lost that job, or I've, that, that, this has changed, right? So I'm coming to a place where I can accept the loss. You can't come to a place where you accept betrayal because betrayal is just plain wrong. I can't accept that. So she says, what we really need to do is go through a process where we recover from the betrayal. And that's what makes betrayal different from grief. And we're going to watch David actually recover from betrayal as we walk with him through Psalms 55 this morning. If you just want to think about how common betrayal is, just think about how many euphemisms we have for betrayal. Stabbed him in the back. Undercut him. Uh, Cut you off at the knees. Double crossed. Stiffed you. Did you dirty. You want to go on a few more? We've got a bunch of euphemisms that, uh, that all point to betrayal, don't we? It tells you it's a common problem. We've come up with all sorts of fun ways, I guess, to express it. You trusted someone, and they turned out to not be worthy of your trust. David experienced this as well in his life, and he processed it before the Lord in Psalm 55. 
Now, before we read it, we don't know exactly the situation that David was in that prompted him to write Psalm 55. Some commentators, some people think maybe it was during that time when his own son Absalom made a coup uh, against his father in order to steal the throne from him. Ooh, that's a betrayal, isn't it? Your own son, see? And so it very well could be during that time, but the point is we just don't know. David had probably a lot of enemies, and he had a lot of times where he could have written a psalm about betrayal and processed it. So this is Psalms 55. I'm going to be reading it in the New Living Translation, and it goes like this. For the choir director, a psalm of David to be accompanied by stringed instruments. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my cry for help. Please listen and answer me, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me and angrily hunt me down. My heart pounds inside my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, then I'd fly away and rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. Selah. Does your Bible have Selah in it there? When you read that, you need to pause. That's what it means. Stop and go, hmm. Fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. Sounds good. Verse 8. How quickly I would escape, far from this wild storm of hatred. Confuse them, Lord, and frustrate their plans, for I see violence and conflict in this city. Its walls are patrolled day and night against invaders. But the real danger is wickedness within the city. Everything is falling apart. Threats and cheating are rampant in the streets. It's not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I, I, could, I could have hidden from them. Instead, it's you, my equal, my companion, my close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. Let death stalk my enemies. Let the grave swallow them alive. For evil makes its home within them. But I will call on God. The Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night I cry out in my distress and the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and he keeps me safe from the battle waged against me, though many still oppose me. God, who has ruled forever, will hear me and humble them. Hmm, let's just pause and think about that. For my enemies refuse to change their ways. They do not fear God. As for my companion, he betrayed his friends. He broke his promises. His words are as smooth as butter, but in his heart is war. His words are as soothing as lotion, but underneath are daggers. 
Give your burdens to the Lord, and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall, but you, O God, will send the wicked down to the pit of destruction. Murderers and liars will die young, but I am trusting you to save me. Now, before digging deeper, let's just make a couple of quick observations because that's helpful when you're studying the Bible. It's always good to start with general observations. And so the first observation we can make is this, that notice how quickly David turns to prayer. Verse 1. Prayer is not his last resort. It's his first, it's his first option. It's his first priority. David's a great example for us to follow, isn't he? he? He hits this terrible betrayal, and his first reaction is, take it to God. Second thing we notice is that David's enemies shout at him. You see that in verse 3? His enemies are shouting at him. Have you ever noticed how the negative voices in your life are louder than the positive voices. Is that not true? Someone has said, I've heard, I don't know who did, but I've heard it, like you need seven positive comments to outweigh one negative comment. And there's just something about the negatives that tend to replay themselves over and over and over in our heads. And this is what David's saying. They're shouting at him. One commentator, I liked this. I, I just liked the way he said it. He said, slander is seldom short of expression. It prates and prattles evermore. I like that. I just liked prates and prattles. I thought those were cool words. Prates and prattles evermore. The third thing we notice about David is this. Notice that David has a major problem. His close friend is betraying him. And what is more, this betrayer is spreading lies throughout the city. The whole city seems to be just like in an uproar over these rumors. Verse 11, he says, everything is falling apart. Threats and cheating are rampant in the streets, David says. So it's bad enough that his betrayer is stabbing him in the back. Now the betrayer is sharing that with the rest of the city, and everybody is talking about it. Number four, we notice this, that David strengthened himself by doing three things. Number one, he prayed. We caught that. Verse one, he took it to God in prayer. The second thing David did was he trusted in God's protection. Do you see verses 16 through 18? David said, I will call on God, and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night, I cry out, and the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and keeps me safe from the battle waged against me, though many still oppose me. So the second thing David did, he trusted in God's protection. Now remember, the mess was still happening. The conflict was still going on. But yet David pulls back, and he goes, nope. I know this much. I know that God's got this. And he reassures himself with that. God's got this. The third observation, the third thing that David did to strengthen himself is then David believed in God's ultimate justice. That's verses 22 and 23. Do you see how the whole psalm ends? He tells us to give your burdens to the Lord. He'll take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. 
But you, O God, will do what to the wicked? You're going to send the wicked down to the pit of destruction. Murderers and liars, they're going to die young. But I'm trusting you to save me. See, David is trusting in God's ultimate justice. Even if it doesn't look like anything is improving right now. Right now, it's a mess. Right now, it's overwhelming. Right now, I'm being mistreated, and it might even look like my attackers are getting away with what they're doing. It maybe even looks like they are justified in their attacks on me. Verse 21, David said that the words of his betrayer were smooth as butter. I like that phrase. But in his heart, there's war. Everybody else hears the buttery words, but David feels the dagger in his back. See? And, and David's saying, I can't fix all of this injustice against me. And so his choice was either to be overwhelmed by it all or to trust that God sees it. One of the names for God is Jehovah Roy. The God who sees is what that means. So he's saying, I know, God, you see this. You see what's going on. And the day will come when you will make this all right. And so David is falling back and trusting in that, in God's ultimate justice. See, part of the reason why betrayal is so painful is because it devalues us as people. See, when I'm betrayed, someone has treated me as disposable. They've thrown me away. I, I quoted Dr. Helly, uh, Holly Kenley a moment ago. Um, she's actually written extensively on this subject, like three or four books. And uh, she says this, that betrayal equals a loss of self. Because I trusted in this person, I, I essentially gave my heart to this person. And then they took it and they trampled on it and gave it back. They treated me less than human. And so David's response is totally appropriate. In verse 1, David asks God, please do not ignore my cry for help. Don't ignore my cry for help. The Hebrew word is literally hide the ear. I love the word picture. And so David's saying, God, don't, don't cover your ears to my need. Why would David feel that way? Do you see the loss of self? Don't, don't ignore me, God. Don't, don't go, right? God, please. Here's David. He's a man who's close to God. He's a man, the man after God's own heart, the Bible says. And yet, somehow he's been cheapened by this betrayal, and now he comes to God hoping that God's not ignoring him. God's not covering his ears to him. And this is how he begins. The betrayal happened. David's self has been shattered to the point where he even lacks confidence in approaching God. But he comes anyway. He goes anyway. And then you look at the words that he uses to describe his experience. Look at verse 2. I am overwhelmed by my troubles. Look at verse 4. My heart pounds in my chest. In other words, he's anxious. He's experiencing a lot of anxiety over this whole thing. Verse 5. He says, I can't stop 
shaking. Again, the Hebrew word here is very picturesque because I can't stop shaking is a picture of a caged animal pacing. I just can't stop it. I can't stop it. And this is David. Is that not your experience when you're feeling betrayed? Like, like you get sucker punched and you can't breathe and you're knocked off your feet and you're just doing this. You can't rest. There's no rest in that moment. And this is David. I'm overwhelmed. My heart pounds in my chest. I'm anxious. I can't stop shaking. I'm pacing the floor back and forth. This is the condition of David's soul. He's been shattered. In verses 6 through 8, David does what I would do. He wants out. You see what he says? Oh, I wish I was a dove. I could sprout wings and I'd fly out of here. Is that not your response usually too? I know that, man. I want to just check out a dodge. I can't tell you how many times uh, over the 35 years of ministry that I've wanted out of ministry. You know, and I've come home and I've just told Karis, like, I just want to go work at Dairy Queen. Like, that'd be great. You know, chocolate or vanilla? What would you, sprinkles? Wouldn't that be great? And everybody loves the ice cream guy. Like, that's a, that sounds like a great job. Nobody's mad at the ice cream guy. Like, everybody loves the ice cream guy. I want to be the ice cream guy. Don't you? Yeah. I want out. Getting out sounds nice when you're feeling betrayed, but you and I both know it doesn't solve anything, does it? Nuts. <laughs> I wish I could get out. I guess I'm going to have to engage in this. And this is what David does. In verse 9, he continues his prayer with a request. Lord, confuse them, frustrate their evil plans. This is how David prays for his enemy. Lord, confuse them and frustrate their plans. That seems like a pretty nice prayer to pray for someone who has stabbed you in the back. Doesn't it? He's not praying. Now, granted, it's not Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer is, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Like, all right, that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus, and David wasn't Jesus. But David, I don't know, I don't know that I'm as nice as David. David's like, Lord, just frustrate their plans. Like, that's a, that's a nice prayer, David. I've prayed some pretty terrible prayers when I felt betrayed, haven't you? Yeah. Verses 10 and 11 begin to outline the problem that plagues David. Threats, lies, cheating, backstabbing going on in the streets. And what's worse, it's all being spread around by one of David's close friends. One of his dear friends, spreading rumors and gossip, trying to ruin and undo David. Not some acquaintance, not some random dude. Verse 13, you can almost hear the pain in the words of verse 13, can't you? Instead, he says, it's you, my equal, my companion, my close friend. Do you hear that? Do you hear David just heartbroken? My close friend is doing this to me. See? David, is, uh, David reels from the pain. And because of that, He's not as kind in verse 15 as he was back in verse 9. 
In verse 9, a moment ago, he's asking God to confuse their wicked plans. In verse 15, he's asking God to let them be stalked by death. May they die an early death, buried alive in the grave. He's, he's feeling the pain now, isn't he? And that's important. I mean, you can't run from it, so David embraces it. He's dealing with the hurt of this betrayal. So what does he do? Well, he turns it to God in prayer. And this is verses 16 through 19. Let's read them again. I will call on God, he says, and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, night, and morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and he keeps me safe from the battle waged against me, though many still oppose me. God, who has ruled forever, will hear me and humble them. Do you catch that? God, who has ruled forever, will hear me and humble them. See, what David, David's words hint at something that we all want when we are betrayed and when we feel betrayed. We want vindication. We want God to humble them and prove that I was right. We want God to prove, you see, that I have been unjustly treated. That's what I want. However, have you noticed that vindication is a tricky thing and that you cannot vindicate yourself? Have you ever noticed that in your life? That the more you try to vindicate yourself, the worse it gets. You just, you, at, at, at best, you come off as desperate and defensive. And it gets worse from there. This is, this is what David does. He can't, he can't, he's trusting God for vindication. And he says that God is the ultimate judge because he has forever ruled. He's forever ruled. So he sees the beginning, he sees the end, which means that God's the only one qualified to truly decipher who's in the right and who's in the wrong and to completely parse this whole thing out. See? When I'm, when I'm feeling that need to be vindicated, one of the things that has provided comfort for me over the years has been to realize that Jesus himself is waiting to be vindicated. You think about how many people malign Jesus to this very day. How many people did in his lifetime, how many people still to this day malign Jesus in his character. And Jesus hasn't vindicated. He's waiting to be vindicated. The Bible tells us that the day will come, and I love this verse, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that who is Lord? Jesus, Jesus is Lord. That's Jesus' vindication. That every one of the naysayers and every one of the skeptics and the doubters and the critics and the people who said all the negative things about him and did negative things against him, all those people at some point will find themselves bowing before him, confessing that he is Lord. That's vindication. But yeah, but that day hasn't happened yet. That day is still in the future. And so Jesus is waiting for that. And so I don't know, I find strange comfort in that, that perhaps if he can wait for vindication, I can wait for it. 
I can wait for God to settle the books, to open them up and go, this is right, this is wrong. You know, I, I can wait for God to do that because he will one day. So the question that I have to ask myself is, can I rest in God and wait for him to resolve it? Can I do that? Or do I want to fight and try to manipulate the situation to vindicate myself? Which doesn't work. Or I can wait for the Lord to do it someday. Again, I think this is where Dr. Kenley is helpful. Uh, she says that in the process, and I don't even think she's a, a Christian, so just, I'll just say that for the record. But uh, she says that in the process of healing from betrayal, we go through three states of being. Three states of being. And I'm not going to do her words justice, but I'm going to try to shorten them. She says the first state that we go through is the state of confusion. This is when the, when the betrayal happens right away, and it's immediate, where we try to understand the reasons why they betrayed us. It doesn't make sense. Why did they do what they did to me? Why did this happen? And this is where David is processing all of this, and it's where he's pacing the floor, and he's upset with it. This is the state of confusion, she calls it. And then we go from there into the state of worthlessness. I thought that I mattered. I gave my heart to this person. I trusted them, and they just trashed me. So now who am I? Does this make sense? Who, who am I? Maybe I am worthless and rightfully betrayed. Maybe. And see, this, this brings us then, and I'm not saying you are, but I'm saying this is the questions. This, this, is how, this is what goes on in the mind in this state of worthlessness. And then this leads us then to the final state, she says, which is the state of powerlessness, which then ultimately leads to our recovery. But the state of powerlessness is where we realize there's nothing I can do to fix this betrayal. It happened. I trusted them, and they took advantage of me. All right. So now what do I do? I, can, I cannot control what they did, but I can choose how I respond. And in this, I find power. Amen. See, I don't have the power over what happened, but I do have the power over how I respond to what happened, right? Does it make sense? And this, she says, is where I begin to recover from the betrayal. And this is how David ends Psalms 55, verses 22 and 23. He gives his burdens to the Lord. He puts his confidence in God's ability to keep him from slipping. David reminded himself that God is ultimately just and he will bring down the wicked one day. And then he comes to the last line of Psalms 55, as for me, I trust in you. This is David's conclusion. I, I cannot control what happened to me. I cannot stop this backstabbing slob from trash talking me around the city. I can't stop that. I can't fix it by proving them wrong and proving myself right. That's only going to make it worse. So I'll wait. I'll trust that God's going to fix this problem. And he's going to take care of me in the process because I'm trusting him. This is David's heart. Garris, you can come and play. That'd be wonderful. 
This is exactly what Jesus did. Would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 through 25? Peter outlines this so beautifully. 1 Peter chapter 2, 22 through 25. And he says this. He says that Jesus never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. You see that? Jesus, read that again. He did not retaliate. He did not threaten revenge. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. And then what happened as a result? He personally, this is good news for us, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what's right. (laughs) Peter goes on to say that it's by his wounds, his wounds that we are healed. Isn't that something? So he did not retaliate. He did not threaten. He left his case in the hands of God. He trusted the judge. And the result of that was he paid for your sins and mine. And I'm not done reading Peter yet. He goes, once you and I were like sheep who wandered away. But now, because of what Jesus did, but now you have returned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Do you see our betrayal there? We were like sheep who wandered away. In other words, we betrayed him. And Jesus did not betray us. He refuses to betray. Betrayal is not a part of his character. He's faithful. It's who he is. And in that, Jesus insisted on dying on the cross to pay for your betrayal so that you could be restored. You and I are the wandering sheep. (laughs) But because Jesus entrusted his case into the hands of the judge, the ultimate judge, his father, he says, now you and I can be free from our wandering and brought back to the guardian of our souls. Does Jesus know the agony of betrayal? Absolutely. Was there ever anybody who deserved to be betrayed or or deserved it less, rather, than Jesus? Absolutely not. If anything, Jesus should have been celebrated and honored in the streets and lifted high. But he was not, was he? I like what Proverbs 18.24 says, that there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is that friend, my friend. He is that friend who sticks closer than a brother to you. 2 Timothy 2.13, one more verse. It gives us great news. It says that if we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he cannot disown himself. 
I love that. He cannot disown himself. Like, it's just not in his nature to betray. So when you and I are faithless with you this You see, Jesus knows the sting of betrayal. And he can empathize with you this morning. Maybe this morning you're here and you're right in the middle of it. You're right in the thick of a betrayal. And, and the pain of this, like, you're, you're like David. You're pacing the floor. You don't know which end is up. You're asking why. I mean, the hurt of that betrayal is just as raw and fresh as it can get in your soul. I want to encourage you to bring that to Jesus. Jesus would say to you, you know, I, I know what betrayal feels like, my friend. So you can bring it to him and let him walk with you through it, through those states of confusion and worthlessness and powerlessness. <laughs> Maybe this morning you're here and you're like, you find it hard to believe that maybe you are someone who betrayed Jesus because you thought of yourself as a, basically a good person. I never thought of myself as someone who betrayed him. And the truth is, yes, you have, as have I. The Bible's pretty clear that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us. So every one of us here is a betrayer. But do you see the love of Jesus for you? That he has refused to betray you. He's been faithful to you from the get-go and never stopped being faithful. And now you can trust him. So I just want to lead you in a prayer, if you would, please. The prayer goes like this. Jesus, I have sinned against you. You have been faithful to me, yet I have betrayed you. And I do not deserve to be forgiven. However, you went to the cross to restore me, and I am forever thankful. I'm amazed by your goodness. Please forgive me. Draw me in close to you. Please restore me to yourself, and never let me wander again. Amen. So Peter calls him the guardian of your soul. Bring your soul to the guardian today, would you? Well, that about wraps it up for today. We pray that today's message encouraged you. And if you would like more information or just to contact us, go to our website at newriverchurch.org.